FreshEd is holding its first ever live event on Sunday, April 14th in San Francisco. I will be interviewing Gita steiner Kamsi about her new research on educational privatization in front of a live audience. Considering the recent teacher strikes in Oakland and beyond, this seems like a timely and important topic to discuss. You'll also get a chance to ask Gita some questions yourself and meet the FreshEd team, including Sherry, Hung, and Lushik. Free tickets are limited, so be sure to reserve yours as soon as possible. You can do so online at freshedpodcast.com slash live. Again, that's freshedpodcast.com slash live. This event is being sponsored by NORAG, the Network for International Policies and Cooperation in Education and Training. Thank you, NORAG, for making this possible, and I'm looking forward to meeting some FreshEd fans in person. This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas in educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. Susan Robertson joins us today to talk about Brexit and its implications for education. She is a professor of sociology of education in the Graduate School of Education at the University of Bristol. She is also the co-editor of the journal Globalization, Societies, and Education. Susan Robertson, welcome back to Fresh Ed. Thank you, Will. Very nice to be back here. Although what we're going to be talking about, I'm not sure really that was what I anticipated my return might be about. <laughs> I know. It's been it's been a crazy last few days watching what's been unfolding in Britain. And thank you so much for just being able to to join the show last minute to just try and unpack what is going on in or with the Brexit? What's going... Well, it's gone on now, uh, Will. Uh, Thursday night, uh, well, for the last uh, three, four, five months, there's been a a daily campaign uh, around either what's called Remain or Brexit. Now, fundamentally, Remain here means uh, does uh, the UK uh, remain in Europe? The regional uh, agreement uh, that... uh, really got underway in the post-war period. So this is a 40-year project of being part of Europe uh, and an expanding Europe. Many countries, you know, adding themselves in as part of a uh, a free market. Uh, um, And in that post-war period, the view always was that actually, uh, you know, countries that traded with each other didn't fight with each other. Um, So that's remain in that kind of arrangement of which education freer movement of people and so on so education's very tied up in this um it, brexit essentially means exit um and here this would actually be the camp of the so-called eurosceptics this idea that giving some of your sovereignty to uh, regional bodies in some way um actually means that somehow you and you do actually you lose some degree of sovereignty but the question of you know the the pluses and minuses about what you gain and what you lose are actually really what the debate is about so Four months of campaigning, uh, quite a lot of uh, huge amounts of rhetoric. You know, in fact, it was kind of a, a kind of a, a show where the you went to an even further um, kind of register of you know the terrible things or the 
fantastic things would actually that would happen if you remained or you you exited but i think on thursday we voted and on thursday night we all went to bed thinking it would be close but if you spoke to every single person that i encountered um and perhaps let's just remind ourselves i'm encountering a, a, a perhaps middle class people in my environment um the words were literally i'm shocked there's two words that everyone kept on saying I'm shocked. And the shock essentially really is that uh, what has happened has been that um, the UK has uh, voted in a, in a referendum um, by 52% uh, voting to leave and 48%, which is now a significant margin, um, voting to uh, remain. And perhaps if we like and kind of say, well, OK, we can look at that and we can um, try and get a sense of uh, what that means. There's some very paradoxical things. So in the main, uh, Scotland voted to remain. Um, and this will be very interesting for thinking about uh, what happens to Scotland wanting to actually bail out completely themselves. Uh, the biggest vote for uh, exiting came from pretty much the working classes, uh, and you'll see, you know, valley areas in the uh, in in Wales, um, many of these areas receiving European structural funds, but they voted to exit. Uh, in the north of England, uh, again, the vote was to exit. Uh, big cities like London, uh, regions like Scotland, um, cities like mine, actually a fairly you know green voting city, voted uh, to uh, remain. And if we try and understand what that means, it, fundamentally it, it, it does actually say something about some very deep uh, 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 symptoms in the country around feeling disenfranchised from politics more generally and from both the political and the economic classes. So there's, we've got that one there. What is also interesting is that uh, young people did go out, registered, uh, at one point so many young people registering that the uh, the, the website went down, but 75% of uh, 18 to 24-year-olds compared to 40% of over 65-year-olds voted to remain. And here now what you have is families actually split, um, the older members of the family voting to uh, exit, the younger members voting to remain, and younger people actually saying, uh, not only have we been living with you know, very bad economic and political decisions uh, that the older generation have put upon us, but this younger generation now are who wanted to remain, who see uh, remaining uh, in Europe as creating more space for opportunity and so on, um, work-wise, uh, education-wise and so on, that they that they actually feel that they have been um, short-changed by uh, the economic, political and um, the older generation. So this is a kind of triple uh, jeopardy from their point of view. So how how would you how would you explain some of these these generational differences these demographic differences the age differences um, like what is the what are some of the underlying causes that that created uh, a vote to be split in such a way? 
Well, what I would say, most pundits who are kind of looking at the post-election uh, period now um, are actually, I mean, perhaps we, we could even go to uh, the United States, you know, Bernie Sanders, he's well supported by a young, younger generation. They want a different politics. Okay. Um, so on the one hand, the young people uh, you know, see that different politics as actually uh, perhaps being mediated by um, you know, a, a more cosmopolitan kind of politics, you know, more active politics. For that older generation, this, it, it, this is actually um, essentially um, families, working class families who have uh, lost out in the um, period that we could describe as uh, neoliberal. It's uh, more than any period for decades and decades um, have we seen, you know, uh, rising inequalities, the, you know, 1%, the 99% or the 10, 1% of the 10% in relation to that remaining either 99 or the 90%. Um, so quite systematic exclusion, uh, loss of uh, living standards, which we can see amongst the working classes. Um, in all the races that we now say that you've got to, you know, operate in the education race, in the social mobility race, it's that class that's lost out. I mean, we can see this. Um, in 2014, uh, Thomas Piketty was one of many books, um, or one of many writers, but also his book was one of many books that came out uh, looking at the, uh, you know, deep, deep consequences of, you know, not just decades of restructuring that have privileged a particular, you know, uh, class, um, you know, a political class that's actually enabled an economic elite to, you know, not pay taxes, to put their money into tax havens, to not invest uh, in, um, you know, jobs and decent jobs and so on, you know, outsourced a lot of that work. Um, so this is this is that kind of vote, you know. Saskia Sassen talks about this as, you know, forms of expulsion. And here's this kind of Thursday night was a very interesting example of a talking back um, and uh, an expulsion of which, you know, from Europe, a regional agreement, which the consequences, particularly for education, um, we can begin to talk about them, but, you know, the longer-term consequences, if there's no clawing back of a position, um, I think will result in, um, paradoxically, even further inequalities amongst the different social classes. So can you go into that? What, what sort of educational um, you know, effects is the Brexit going to have with you know, the EU having so much student mobility, having research funding that goes, a lot of the research funding from the European Commission goes into the UK. So what sort of effects do you see happening? Well, the university sector particularly, or the higher education sector particularly, um, this is this is catastrophic. Um, it uh, puts about twelve percent of the budget into the EU, but it in the university sector it takes out about fifteen percent. So uh, the university sector uh, um, makes huge amounts of money. Now that fifteen percent, now that would probably largely be research money, but I could just give you some big figures that tell you quite what the headache actually feels like. So universities more generally generate something like 73 billion uh, for the UK economy. Okay, so it's a very big uh, income generator of which 3.7 billion, uh, this is the figures that we're, we're, we're 
we're looking at uh, are generated by students from EU countries who come to the UK to study and they study in undergraduate and graduate uh, courses. In graduate courses they're actually paying a slightly higher um, amount of money to local students and in the case of undergraduate students they will be, um, they access the student loan book, book but they actually enrol in large numbers in undergraduate programs. Um, so that's that's very significant and uh, if we kind of take those, if, if we say that in fact it will be more difficult uh, for those students because they're protected by EU law uh, to be able to come here to access the student loan book um, and so on and under different conditions to international students, um, if they're to find uh, other places to go, you know, Germany has increased its numbers of students being taken into Germany fairly significantly so there are competitor countries across uh, Europe. Uh, not only does it mean that they don't turn up and they don't make our universities much more interesting cosmopolitan places, um, that that essentially will result in job cuts across the university sector. And they're talking about something close to, you know, 400,000 jobs um, that, you know, support um, you know, lecturers, administrators, um, and so on. Um, so this is this is this is uh, really significant. Um, as the uh, research funding in the UK has uh, become much more problematic because of austerity, and very large amounts of money have come out of the higher education sector. You know, many of us have looked to Europe to get grants, and we're typically very successful in getting those grants and uh, leading big research teams and so on. And then perhaps I might just say this will. It's not just a money thing. Um, working in research teams, uh, or working with uh, students that come into your classes, um, you know what this does actually. It does break down, you know, what some people do regard as the scourge of um, kind of nationalisms, which people scholars like Habermas have um, regarded the EU project as potentially being able to undermine that nationalisms led in the Second World War period to fascisms and so on and that push to uh, having a more cosmopolitan attitude to be able to understand different cultures the other and so on that's the positive side I mean there's a money side of course an economic side but there's been to some extent a positive cultural side and that hand that revealed itself and I do understand where it comes from or you must absolutely deal with that, um, that, that dis sense of disenfranchisement. But to retract back into this kind of excessive, not just nationalisms, but racisms. Uh, so on the streets uh, on Friday, Saturday and Sunday, uh, you know, really very nasty things beginning to happen. You know, individuals being singled out in supermarkets and, you know, are you Polish? If you are, just go back home. We've voted you out. Um, now, that can't be good uh, for any society to have that as an outcome. Are there any upsides to this Brexit vote? I think the upside is to uh, be a wake-up call, that the political classes, uh, you know, that kind of... That, that, that sense of 
being removed, you know, that you could actually ride, um, let me use roughshod, you know, over um, the needs of um, families, a sense of being disenfranchised and so on. So the, the, the upside, I think, is to be absolutely a, a, a wake-up call. Um, I think the even um, one of the key people who ran the uh, uh, Brexit campaign, Boris Johnson, um, has actually, I think, as, as we understand it, been uh, quite shocked at the outcome. He didn't expect that. It was some calculated political manoeuvring on his side. And already there's some retraction back into, well, that's not really what we meant and, and so on. So there's been a kind of a, a shake up and potentially a, a shaking out. Um, but let's just hope that uh, we can actually use this space now productively to, you know, really um, focus attention on what the outcomes have actually been for, of, of you know, several decades of very nasty economic uh, policies, you know, and 2008 uh, austerity policies that actually have been um, um, really very negative policies for populations. You know, perhaps the upside is, you know, Americans might take notice and, you know, really make a decision not to vote in, you know, Trump, who's doing the same kind of thing, you know, shaking the race card around and, you know, we don't want these, we, we don't want these other people, we don't want them here. Um, migration and migrants have actually, ev every figure will tell you, have made, you know, positive contributions directly economically uh, and culturally to any society. And it's that that we kind of need to hold on to. It seems like the, the European Union is a neoliberal project. I mean, I know that the austerity policies that the UK implemented, they did so on their, you know, through their own parliament. But Greece and Spain, a lot of these austerity measures that those countries have implemented came directly from the EU and the IMF. Uh, and the European Central Bank, and I, you know, it it just makes me think, why, you know, the Brexit vote, it it is like this this particular class of people that have been hurt so much by by neoliberalism finally taking a stand against the perhaps undemocratic institution that that is seen as as very neoliberal. You're absolutely right, Will. I mean, that is actually the case. And it's quite interesting. You know, you asked me what are some of the upsides. Um, interestingly, um, Wolfgang Strake, uh, the former um, director of the uh, Max Planck Institute in Germany, um, wrote a fantastic book called Buying Time. But his argument was that essentially uh, regionalisms like the EU, once it took the neoliberal turn, particularly around 2004, you know, a kind of ramped up uh, because its policies did tend to be more to the left up until that point, you know, better jobs, social cohesion and so on. But at that point, it really did take on a different kind of colour. His argument is that um, nations should get out. Um, uh, 
I, but I, in, in the case of England, I mean, we've been running down a, 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 an even worse version of neoliberalism, you know, free market. Uh, well, so the upside here. So we've had a higher education policy white paper going through, which is to absolutely open it up to for profit uh, firms, to operators, universities and so on. And that's going to be brought to a halt, I suspect. The argument over the weekend is that uh, these things just need to just be put to the side um, and maybe there are questions that might be actually asked about these kinds of policies so that actually England um, doesn't become the exemplar of uh, ex austerity and 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 so on. Um, but some interesting conversations on the weekend. I happened to meet a, student, a former student of mine from Hong Kong and he's saying that really the umbrella movement are actually looking at uh, the Brexit uh, as an example of what uh, Hong Kongers might do in relation to mainland China. Now that's a very, very big and quite dramatic kind of uh, lesson to be taken from that. But right across Europe there's little doubt that uh, different groups will be actually looking at whether they exit or not. Um, the, the, the unfortunate thing really here is that, you know, it, it does actually represent a, a win for, you know, the Marine Le Pen's in France, you know, this kind of extreme right who are very anti-race, anti, um, you know, bring, put the walls up. And yet we do have a crisis, uh, you know, that's confronting um, many of the European countries in uh, Greece, uh, in Italy and so on, you know. And this is a crisis to do with um, the consequences of, you know, policies, foreign policies, mistaken foreign policies in, in many senses to do with uh, I I Iraq, to do with uh, Syria and so on. And, you know, so this is, this is, this is, a, this is a very, very messy uh, period that uh, we had moved into and getting messier in some sense. And, you know, um, and, and, and actually a, a period of time that we need, I think, you know, wise people at the political helm because what we wouldn't want, you know, I take everything that you say about uh, the disenfranchisement, but what we don't want is a war of all against all. What we actually need is um, a, a, a better understanding, it seems to me, uh, as to who might be to blame amongst the working classes. They've pointed their finger at uh, migrants, and this would be those migrants objectively are in the same situation in many senses as that working class, disenfranchised uh, politically either from other global powers or from the economic system. What we need, I think, is a way in which those disenfranchised nations or classes can see objectively that their interests are the same kinds of interests, and that is um, want to, a way in which we, we can talk together to see that actually uh, this these broken societies are actually only going to be fixed if we see that uh, really we've been dealt a very nasty hand by the economic and political classes. And that's a job of education. I think that is a job that educators across the different nations around the world um, should and must take on and that we actually need to work our way toward uh, not just a kind of uh, it, you know kind of seeing the the 
precarity and the vulnerability of uh, where we stand on the world stage and in world politics and and that actually if we don't begin these conversations if we don't begin this hard work if we don't begin to see objectively where our interests actually are and it's not against each other but it's actually to work uh, through all of the systems that we have to rebuild our institutions like education so that they are actually mindful of the way in which they must begin to uh, work toward building better societies, better politics, better ways of understanding each other. It, it seems like you are painting a, a picture of of the new left. You know, it seems as if the 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 immediate result of the Brexit vote or referendum was the far right xenophobic parties kind of you know seeing some success but it almost sounds like there's actually space for the left to kind of take on maybe new a new role in the political life of the UK but then also maybe in the EU as well um, I completely agree and that but that new left actually has to um, absolutely understand what um, what that vote actually meant okay that exit vote um, in, in many cases uh, many of these families that voted basically said they didn't understand the consequences now partly this is to do with uh, the, the media it's in part I suspect also to do with you know our, our kind of level of political literacy uh, not understanding actually you know something like a referendum and voting out uh, maybe indeed not understanding either that um, you know, just kind of waving a kind of an old empire flag just, you know, suddenly makes you grand. Um, none of none of that, uh, all of that actually has to be on the table to be talked about as to how we move, um, how we both understand that and, and then move beyond it. But yes, Will, you're, you're absolutely right. I think there's, there's a, a huge job to be done there's a big agenda here um and i and i say i say that i mean people are very anxious about this state of affairs you know you can see bits of latin america falling apart europe um, is in trouble and not just england scotland wanting to go its own way even london talking about well as a city they don't feel as if they belong to england uh, now so yes uh, a, a a major, major job, um, and uh, for the for for the new left, and that new left actually has to really uh, look at how it um, enters in with um, an agenda that is, um, is 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 not opportunist. Uh, it enters in with an agenda that really is not just up and down the country, um, and it's not just speaking to the middle classes, which is really what Obama and perhaps Ed Miliband had been doing. Uh, but it's actually speaking to those deep fears, um, misplaced fears, the wrong target, but those deep fears and experiences of those who have pretty much lost out from neoliberalism. Is is Jeremy Corbyn someone who can do that? Well, it's very interesting. That party is currently in meltdown. Um, at least a third of his, the shadow cabinet um, this morning um, and over the course of 24 hours had uh, resigned. Um, so... You actually, I mean, it seems to me that leadership needs also to be sufficiently charismatic um, 
so Corbyn does have a constituency uh, amongst um, you know, those who who have a right to elect uh, the Labour um, um, leader, um, but there's also some unease that uh, he, he, that he's not going to be able to uh, make it into the future. So it it, it is. It is his kind of politics, nevertheless. You know, a, a person who has actually reached out to a constituency. Uh, it is the agenda that he's constantly been naming, which is actually around neoliberalism, better jobs, um, this, uh, and so on. So whether it's uh, it's it's definitely the Corbyn agenda, whether it's Corbyn himself, I don't know. But he certainly um, was in the main able to uh, name a different kind of economic and political agenda into the future, that that agenda at least we have to hold on to, whether it's Corbyn himself or someone that can take a bigger constituency forward, I don't know, but that's, uh, uh, but, but that's an urgent task uh, that we need now all to get involved with and um, look at how uh, we might move that forward. Try and think ahead five years from now. What what do you think life in the UK is going to be like in the university, per se? Well, there's a positive. Uh, we had many discussions amongst our colleagues, you know, perhaps going in and one of my colleagues, you know, basically saying, well, we she thinks it would Brexit, but actually there'll be some peddling backward and, and so on. Um, five years' time, I'm thinking, well... Could it be that actually there's some space to pedal back and actually look at the enormity of what's kind of happened and we haven't gone down that track? Um, and yet, on the other hand, that Europe itself um, and those who are guiding Europe um, also realise something of what's happened um, in England um, and that has has actually kind of emerged, you know, the Netherlands thinking of leaving. Um, so many countries, you know, Spain, there would be some appetite amongst the Catalans to leave, Scots to leave and so on. So some some efforts to find a, a, a different ground. Um, so that would be the positive spin on that, that we actually use this space and all of our political nous not to essentially go down this Brexit uh, uh, line, but to look at what kind of manoeuvring so that we could actually um, engage in some politics, but not the not a kind of an all-out uh, outcome of, of, of leaving quite in that way. On the other hand, if that does happen, I think, um, then um, England... Um, there's very little doubt that the Scots will basically and quite possibly the Irish, you know, want to leave. Um, and so here what we'll have, I think, will be um, um, a, a very small-minded population at one level, if there's no learning space that takes place, that uh, has... Um, there's a decision that's been made and uh, there's no learning that's been done ac across all of the social classes around quite what it is that we have been, uh, what the vote was about, what needs to happen politically. Um, it's difficult, it seems to me, um, to say that, uh, you know, single islands um, economically uh, make it. I've spoken on your um, 
uh, fresh ed on regions and region building um, about how why and how regions emerge and uh, there are examples of regional projects, uh, most recently in the Latin American space, uh, Alba and so on, where the the best of what it means to work together um, as countries, um, up until more recently anyway, you know, Cuba sharing doctors, uh, a welfare sector across that region that actually minimised um, some of the differences across countries and so on. You know, could we work our way toward that as an outcome? I mean, that's what my hope would actually be. And could we five, you know, so there's a, we could go in two ends of a continuum and I'm hoping we kind of charter a, a, a middle path and we actually realise the the significance of political votes, but actually some retracting back from that position. Well, it'll be very interesting to follow over the next few years. Susan Robertson, thank you so much for joining Fresh Ed again. It's always a pleasure to talk. Thank you, uh, Will, very much. And uh, maybe five years' time, Fresh Ed, um, I'd like to be able to say that my positive, more positive scenario had actually come true. Susan Robertson is a professor of sociology of education in the Graduate School of Education at the University of Bristol. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed, not Fresh Ed, which takes no institutional position. If you've liked what you've heard today, please consider rating us on iTunes. It really does help. Fresh Ed's producers are Sherry Yang, Hong Zong, and Lushik Waba. Fatih Akhtas is our researcher, and original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll be back next week.